it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. And I'm the other one, James. And today we have Chapter 9, Leave Takings. A little trivia moment for this is that Leave Takings is used pretty much in like every book. <laughs> it's constantly used over and over again. But you might not remember it, but in uh, the first book we had, I think it was like Chapter 4, Leave Takings or something. Now it's Chapter 9, Leave Takings. I do Takings. remember you. I do remember you mentioning that at some point. Yeah, well, uh, here's, previous book. here's number two. <laughs> it's a running joke, I guess. The, the longest running drinking game. I'm at four and one either. Every time you find a chapter that says leave takings, take a drink. <laughs> so uh, we'll do a quick recap, I think, before we start. Um, and basically... Um, the end of last chapter was Rand going to see Egwene and causing a ruckus and having Lord Agamar and uh, Kajin um, trying to calm him down, which is funny because he's like, I wasn't even trying to go in. I was just yelling for her. And the army of women that are trying to basically form a wall of death to stop him from going in or something. It's just, I, I don't really understand it, but okay. Um, and then eventually he gets to talk to Egwene and all that stuff. So basically we're coming back to after he leaves that. Um, and now basically Rand's going to the outer courtyard and he's got his bundle of clothes, his, uh, saddlebags, um, Tom's harp and flute. And it's about noon. Um, and you got, which is just, which is honestly really funny because it took them all night, I guess, to scrounge up the people that they want to send to go hunt down the people who took the horn. Like, wouldn't you want to leave like first light or maybe even before first light? So you can not be that far. Like now you're like five hours behind. Or no, you're probably 15 hours behind because if everything happened like at night night or something late late, then you've missed mm -hmm. out on a whole bunch of time. And they're way ahead of you. They're like, oh, now we'll we'll head out. Oh, okay, sure, but whatever. So, uh, on well, uh, yeah, one on one hand. Uh, it probably does take quite a lot of time here to like you know round everyone together, get their all equipment ready, all the horses ready. But on the other hand, they're all like shining arms, aren't they? So I, I kind of doubt that it would take them that long to you know mobilize. Well, here's the funny part: but... Shinarns are notorious for their cavalry, like they're the heaviest cavalry, uh, probably in on the continent. Like they're they're legendary for their cavalry, like. They, they know how to ride, they know how to trample, they know how to do all sorts of maneuvers. Like, they're well, well known for this type of thing. So it's not like... It, it's not like they don't know how to use horses. <laughs> it's not like they don't know how to travel. So it's just really weird. But 
Um, then you got the Omerlin's pikemen and archers also forming up in the square. So I'm thinking, this must be a massive castle. Like, I mean, I get it's a town slash castle, mm. like a fort town, but I mean, if you're fitting in all of your normal forces plus all of the Omerlin seats, pikemen, archers, and everything else, I'd assume they'd have a little bit of cavalry themselves, but like. That's a lot of people. And if you're doing the square, you holding pikemen and archers are forming up. And you got all of these Shinarans testing it out. And even if you only have a couple Shinarans, let's say you have, you know, 20 Shinarans. That's 20 Shinarans plus their horses because they're not on the horses yet so they're moving around they're taking up a lot of space you've got them moving saddles you've got them moving uh pack horses pack animals like it's still a, a ball of territory and in the olden days like a court a courtyard's not that big like it's the biggest empty space of the area but they're still not like super super big you might fit i mean a, a big massive courtyard i'm thinking like a hundred people in it now keep in mind we already yeah, have the guard well, walks and archers yeah, this, is kind of like, build. this is kind of like you know fantasy architecture where you could probably you know fit like a thousand people in, in a courtyard or you know, every, yeah everything's in grand scale and scope and it's, all that it's it's not really explained though like how big it actually is just as it's, it's like Baldara is like a fort town. So it's, it's a giant fort where it's supposed to hold off Trolloc horde attacks and stuff like that. And then it still has like town people inside and whatnot that they can, anybody from outside can run inside and, you know, do its normal thing, but it just doesn't make sense. Like how they can fit so many people. Cause this is basically like, what the Omerlin seat should have brought with her, which is a large procession, would have like doubled the town population practically. And that's not including the, the, like, the guards and soldiers that, you know, went to uh, Tarwin's Gap and whatnot. And there's thousands of them. But it's like you got all of the major civilian population on the guard walks and archer balconies. And then you have all the soldiers and stuff down below. So you don't even have like the archers and guards that are staying in the fort that are on their own actual like parapets and stuff. Like they're literally just somewhere like all over the place. And I always have wondered how they managed to like stable so many horsemen. I always figured you'd like have stables near the exits so you could put your guys on them really quickly and take off. But I, I don't know that they hold thousands and thousands of horses would be very impressive. But again, we don't get enough description to tell like exactly how big this thing is. So we kind of have to just run with it. But anyway, um, some of the warders notice Rand and his uh, Heron Mark sword, but nobody says anything to him. Um, then we get, you know, the descriptions, of all the horses and whatnot. Um, Rand has a base stallion named Red. And uh, he starts kind of like taking care of him and whatnot. And we notice Ingtar's Grey Albanner. Um, and it says 20 other armored men with lances tipped with two feet of steel. And those guys are mounted. 
Um, and they've got bars on their helmets that cover their face. And we get the golden surcoats with the black hawk on their chest, uh, which is hiding their plate and mail. So that's like the heavy, heavy cavalry. Um, but basically, Ingtar's helmet has a crest. It's a crescent moon above his brow. And it points up. So I, for me, I just feel like that would look weird. Um, I I kind of get what they meant uh, with the description, but it in my mind it seemed more ominous. It'll be like a samurai helmet. That's what I was thinking too. But the way the helmets are described, it'd be like putting the samurai crescent yeah. onto like a European helmet. I, I, it's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we I'm pretty certain we talked about this even before. Would be like the whole kind of culture clash of China being like East meets West in many respects. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, like all the countries are strange places in their own way, but, um, and with, uh, with Ingtar, we have Uno, um, who has only one eye. I think we mentioned that last time we met Uno. Um, we have Ragan and Masima. Um, Ragan's still friendly, Masima, not so much, and apparently other people that are with Masima not fond of him either. So Loyal shows up to uh, Ran surprise and <laughs> he has this uh a prime Duran stallion, which I think he's I think he's had since he started traveling with them from Camelin, if I remember correctly. Um, and for a horse, that's like the big of the bigs. Like it's a huge horse and it's typically used for like hauling heavy loads of carts, wagons and stuff like that. Um, and the description here is like all the other stallions like Mandarb and everything look about the size of Bella next to it, of what Bella looks like to other horses. But when Loyal's sitting in the saddle... It's like he's riding a pony. <laughs> so it's a huge, like, it's a huge horse that looks really tiny because of the huge guy in it. Um, Sounds like Russian dolls, but with horses. Yeah, basically. And then, you know, there's, there's a mention of, like, Loyal's not carrying a weapon and that he doesn't think that Ogier carry weapon or even use weapons. This is like, I mean, he could literally just crush someone's head like a watermelon, so I don't really know what he would need it for. Um, well, actually, this is this is something that I was thinking about, um, especially. Yeah, okay, you know I'm terrible with names. The uh, second crossover episode we did. The second what? Uh, crossover episode with um. Fantasy for the ages, you mean? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, what about them? No, just um, one of the answers. Uh, one of the questions here that he posed here was uh, if you could choose to be like anything or anyone in the real time universe, what would you be? And I answered a okay, is a part of like nice to die's entourage. And that kind of got me thinking like, would he sort of be like a walking, talking lexicon or would he actually know how to defend himself? And that did sort of just get me down the rabbit hole of being like, if he like, okay, did did use weapons and armor what would they actually use because remember weapons are force multipliers 
So if you're like, oh, you're a big, referring to like in D and D. You mean? Hmm? Are you referring to like in D and D or in the actual setting? No, I mean like in real life, like um, because if you like loyal could wield like what we consider like a great sword, like a long sword. Oh, then he would compared like, to you guys. <laughs> yeah, but like, just I don't know it is it is it is just you know one of those sort of fancy nerd things. Just to, we'll learn uh, more about it. Muse on. We'll learn more about whether they do or don't later on. Um, I can't really say much without spoiling later stuff. So, uh, I I look forward to the radical sect of uh, okay that he'll sneak around here and be barbarians or something. It's like, oh, oh, don't socialize with those guys. No, yeah, weird. You're not too far off. Just wait. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, maybe not quite what you're thinking, but there's a similarness to that. Um, so basically, Rand was surprised that Loyal was coming, and um, he's like, Loyal responds with, you know, I'm not going to miss out on a, an experience with the Taviran. Um, and then Matt and Perrin ride up, and then Matt does not really take kindly to Rand, and Perrin doesn't either. Um, and Rand's trying to, like, apologize and everything, and then Loyal just points out, like, hey, Rand, your coat's not exactly a traveling coat. And Rand looks down and sees this ridiculously elaborate really nice really nice outfit that he's wearing and it's this whole mentality that everyone thinks he's a lord and he's dressing like a lord albeit he doesn't have much of a choice because all his clothes were burned and he was given all this really nice stuff um see with that one bit is it i just see i'm just imagining um simultaneously like matt and uh Perrin, I just need to think of a certain word, which I probably can't say, but it starts with P and rhymes with Lance. So, it's about he rant. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, he's like, I'm going to change when I when we stop tonight and blah, blah, blah. Then he apologizes to Loyal for saying what he said to Loyal earlier um, to chase him off. And Loyal, you know, gets in a better mood and is like i say things like that all the time the elders always said i spoke an hour before i thought and i thought i i just read that again and again and i'm just like you know that would be an amazing way to like insult somebody like in real life just be like you know you speak an hour before you think don't you <laughs> it's just like the, like watch them try to puzzle it in their head like wait what does that mean it's just like, yeah, just walk away, drop that mic, and just walk away. Because that's an epic way to, like, say that. Or even saying about yourself. Just like, yeah, I know. I Instead of saying, like, I stuck my foot in my mouth, st stuck my foot in my mouth, I just say, I just spoke an hour before I thought. I was like, that's a fantastic little blurb from Robert Jordan. I'm so glad it's in there. Um, and then we also have uh, Land showing up. And be like, I need to talk to you, sheep herder. And, you know, politely asks Loyal to leave. <laughs> and uh, he's like, uh, I don't know if I should listen to you, Lan. I mean, these fancy clothes and everything, they're not helping me very much. He's like, hey, when you can't win a big victory, settle for the small ones. So just shut up and listen. <laughs> um, Genuinely good advice. Last, I know, right? 
uh, last lesson we have is sheathing the sword. Um, and Rand takes a very normy approach to this where he looks at the superficial thing. Oh, oh, sheathing sword. Well, I've been spending hours taking my sword out and putting it back in the sheath. And he's like, no, you dimwit. <laughs> That's not what it means. And he's like, there's, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to achieve a goal no matter what, whether you're attacking or defending. And the only way that will allow it will be to sheathe the sword in your own body. And Rand's like, oh, why would I ever want to do that? <laughs> it's, it's like... <laughs> okay, you, now you're being a little too literal. Now you're being too dimwit. Like, well, I mean, it's, it's not wrong. Like, that's that's what it is. But it's not like... It's not the yeah. suicidal, like, stabbing yourself to kill yourself aspect as much as... It's not... I mean, sheathing the sword shouldn't necessarily be, like, just sheathing your sword. It's sheathing a sword in order to accomplish a task. Which, this is a moment that is relevant for the last book as well. Um, if any of the veterans know what I'm referring to in a fight with a certain somebody that takes down some other people. But um, for those of you who do not know, I will not go further detail until we get there, which will take a long time, but it'll be worth it. Um, but he's like, it's when the price is worth the gain and there's no other choice left to you. You, The move is called sheathing the sword or the, uh, not the move, the, um, I guess it is considered a move. Uh, it's more like a tactic. And then the Omerlin shows up and, you know, she's got Liani and her staff and Lord Algamar and everybody at the shoulder. And, you know, he goes into description about what he's wearing, which is not relevant necessarily, but it is definitely nice to have a description. It's a beautiful description. And Algamar is basically trying to talk the Omerlin out of leaving today and to have an actual feast since it keeps getting interrupted. And Domerlin's like, I would love to if I could, but I didn't plan to stay this long to even begin with. And there are matters at the White Tower that require my presence, so I need to go. And he's like, but it shames me that you came one day and leave the next, and there won't be any more of the stuff that happened the night prior because, you know, we got more people on the gates and we got... Uh, people coming from all over Shinar and even King Esar is going to be showing up from Falmoran and we're going to have tumblers and a bard and he's like okay and she still has to leave and <laughs> they they kind of like disappear with their voices um, as they go away and Juan never even looks at Rand in his general direction <laughs> I don't look in your general direction Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Rand looks down and Land's gone and Loyal shows back up and <laughs> he mentions how Land's hard to get a hold of and one second he's here and the next second he's not and you never see him coming or going. And then Rand keeps thinking about like sheathing the sword and you know quarters are insane. And um, somehow I feel that's an understatement, but yeah. But then the Omerlin's speaking to a warder, and that warder jumps into a, sh a saddle and just dead gallop before he even gets to the gates. And she's basically... It's like she's willing him to go faster. It's like he just, just went into a dead gallop. Like, what is he doing? And Rand's wondering, like, 
hmm, where's he going in such a hurry? And Lan's like, or not Lan, ugh, Loyal, is like, well, apparently she's sending someone all the way to Arad Daman. That way they can find out if there's some sort of trouble on Almuth Plain. And she wants to know what exactly is going on. And we don't really know what it is going on right now, but it's apparently rumors that came from Tarvalin with the Aes Sedai. And Rand doesn't feel so great because he remembered a map that uh, Egwene's father had had back at home. And he had gone over it multiple times about the continent and everything and seeing all the stuff. And Almuth Plain is like right next to Tomon Head. And he remembers the message. We will meet again on Tomon Head. And it's all the way across the world. And he's like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with us or anything to do with me. And Loyal doesn't seem to be paying attention to what he said. And, and he's like, well, if you want to know, why didn't you just send somebody before they went to the Tarvalon? Which, ironically, true story, would have been faster. <laughs> because going from Tarvalon straight over to Arad Daman versus going all the way up to the top right corner of the continent and then to go all the way to the left, which would take longer. And so it's just like, I don't, I don't really understand the thought process in that regard. But okay, like I guess I guess we'll deal with it. Um, oh well. And yeah, he basically said he says you you humans are always sudden excitable, always jumping around and shouting, and then all of a sudden he gets embarrassed, like oh, I am sorry. I, I, you know what I mean when I say I speak before I think. I'm rash and excitable sometimes. And Rand laughs because this is like you. He's like, well, maybe if we lived as long as Yogi, we'd be more settled. And Loyal's 90 years old, again, just for refresher, of course. And by an Ogier standards, that's basically not old enough by 10 years to be outside the setting. So it's like 10 years to kind of a one-year kind of thing for the Ogier in terms of, like, he'd be equivalent to, like, almost a 20-year-old, but they see their age group of when they can, you know, be of age a little bit differently so it's not an exact one-to-one -one ratio or ten-to-one ratio but it's that kind of thing where it's like he's old but not old enough to ogier so he, he's like rand going out of the two rivers he's not necessarily i mean he is a quote-unquote man but he's not necessarily like a man man um i'm sorry to see the way you said that just made me so you think never go full ogier <laughs> Sure. Um, but then... Uh, um, you said it before. <laughs> Whatever. So, they're basically talking about steading and everything, and like Ogier lives and whatnot, and then the Omerlin approaches, and Ingtar and a bunch of men are in their saddle still, kind of like wanting to dismount and kneel, but she just tells them to stay where they are. And um, The Omerlin's kind of just looking at them, and then just saying, peace favor your sword. Lord Ingtar and Glory of the Builders, Loyal Kisaren. And they're like, you know, you honor us and um, peace, be, peace favor Tarvalin, all honor to Tarvalin. And, you know, Rand and Matt and Perrin are kind of on the side, just wondering what's going on. And basically, the Omerlin goes into a speech about finding the Horn of Elir and the hope of the world riding on their shoulders and whatnot. Can't leave it in the hands of the dark friends. Ah, oh, it needs to be bound to the light. 
but it's not it's bound to whoever blows it not to, necessarily to the light which mm, eh, that's a debate of whether or not that is in this world a true story or not so we'll find out one way or the other if that's true um and basically a bunch of the men are like whoa, whoa, what what and everyone believes that you know if if they're called back they're going to call back to fight for the light but if they get called back for the shadow instead it's going to like wreck the light um and then you know swan keeps talking but rand's not listening anymore and there's like this watcher that's he feels is watching him and whatnot or at least is uh, he feels like he's being watched whether or not the person's specifically watching him or not and he looks up at the archer's balconies over the cart yard and looking for people. And there's just it's just full of people, and he's like, "Well, it's not a fade, right?" But then who is it? Um, and he changes um his position on red and like turns the bay, so it kind of turns. And then as he turns, um, something flashes in front of Rand's face, and a man walking behind the Omerlin cries out and falls with a black fetched arrow jutting out from his side. The armlin just stood calmly looking at a rent in her sleeve, blood slowly staining her silk, gray silk specifically. Um, and then a woman screams and then the whole courtyard flips out like crazy and they just, they're milling like an anthill and um, every man in the courtyard has a sword out, including Ran and they're like looking for him and Agomar is just furious and he's like, find him, bring him to me. And then he sees the blood on Swan's sleeve, and he's like, forgive me, I failed your safety, I am ashamed. And Amarlin's uh, like, eh, nonsense, Agomar. Um, stop fussing over me, Lianney, and see that man. I've cut myself worse than this cleaning fish. He needs to help. And this is why I was like, Swan is not, like, a prim and proper lady, to like, its full extent. Like, she always reverts to her upraising, which is, like, this fisherman this is, girl this, this is literally i think just say tis a flesh wound moment basically albeit she's not missing all, she's not missing her whole arm though but basically it's a tis but a flesh wound but it's, it's funny because like she she's not this prim proper one all like she she understands etiquette and stuff that she's supposed to say but she constantly reverts back to her old self with like fish guts is one of her favorite things to say and she always makes fish analogies and whatnot. And it's just like, you can't take a fisherman's daughter and dress her up in silk and expect her to stop being the fisherman's daughter. And that's why it's it's such an interesting character. Because it's like, for all intents and purposes, they basically, you know, threw makeup and lipstick on a donkey and call him a lady. That's, that's literally what happened in this instance with, obviously, the poor analogy. But it, that's, that's basically what it is. It's like, she's still a fisherman's daughter. She doesn't, she's not royalty. She's not from some high ranking family of nobility or something. She's literally from probably the lowest of the low. And she has the most powerful position in pretty much in the world at this point. Um, and wearing gray silk is just like wearing this, like she's wearing silk, but acting like somebody who still wears like potato sacks and catches fish. Like, really really poor so it's 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 a funny character in my opinion um but she kind of like just you know waves agomar away he's like yeah don't worry about it like you know it's not that bad 
and <laughs> my own guards at uh, Tarvalin with warders all around me. A guy with a knife came within five steps of me. It was like a white clock, no doubt, but I've not, I've no proof. And that you'll want to tuck away for later. Um, that'll be useful information. If you can remember, that is. And then Agamar, you know, gets gets up and she mentions like, you know, that's a poor shot for a white cloak bowman or even a dark friend. But then she like looks up and touches Rand's eyes and is like, if it was me, he was aiming at. And in Rand's head, he's like, it wasn't her that was it was aimed at, and she knows it. And then Liani steps up. He's like, no, he's dead. But he was dead when he struck the ground, even if I had been by his side. And he's like, well, you did what you could. Death can't be healed. So Agamar, you know, moves closer. He's like, well, if there's white cloak killers about or dark friends, you must allow me to send men with you, at least for the farthest river. And she's like, oh, it's fine. And Scratch won't delay me. Um, but I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take your men as, at least as far to the river if you insist. But I will not let this delay Lord Ingtar. And we have to find that horn, so... You know, may I have your leave to order your oathman, Lord Algamar? And he, you know, gives his his permission, and she basically turns and says, you know, I I bet Ilion doesn't give the great hunt of the horn a rousing send off is what we're getting right now. So, yours is the true great hunt. You are a few, so you may travel quickly, yet enough to do what you must do. I charge you, Lord Ingtar of House uh, Shinanoa. I charge all of you to find the horn of the Valier and let nothing bar your way. And, you know, Ingtar whips his sword out and kisses the blade. He's like, by my life and soul, by my house and honor, I swear it, mother. And then rides. So then Ingtar just swings around and... And then they're off! And... We have the... Okay. I, know, I know that... Go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I know that he, like... Okay, I, I like to use this he, but um, I couldn't help but think in the back of my mind that as he, like, Ingtar just has he like... Oh, wait, no, um, never mind, I'm see. I'm confusing people. No, this is a thing here where I just keep on confusing, like, Inktar and Agamar. I don't know how you could do that, but okay. <laughs> so, um, sorry about that. It's fine, it's all good. Um, so basically, the Omerlin's pikemen and archers, uh, we're not aware of what's going on at all, so you know. Out come just rows of armor people, and everyone's like, oh, yay, and just kind of like, people are cheering because, you know, the procession's starting and all that stuff. Um, but as they're, you know, heading out, um, Ingtar mentions that Changu and Nadao are gone. We counted everybody in the keep, alive or dead, from last night and again this morning, and they're the only ones not accounted for. And Rand's like, well, Changu was on guard in the dungeons yesterday. And he's like, yeah, and Adao. They had the the second watch, but they always stay together, even if they had to trade or do extra duty. And they were not on guard when it happened, but, you know, they fought at Tarwin's Gap a month ago and saved Lord Agamar when his horse went down at the chalks all around him. He's like, after this and dark friends? And he's like, Ugh, everything's falling apart. And uh, I'll go ahead and have you take up this part, good sir. <clears throat> a man on horseback forced his way through the throng lining the streets, and he joined a near behind Ingtar. He was a townsman, 
by his clothes, lean with a lined face and eager graying hair cut long. A bundle and a water bottle he will last here behind a saddle, and a short bladed sword and a nasty sword breaker hung at his belt, along with a cudgel. Ingtar noticed the Aram's glasses. This is Huron, our sniffer. There was no need to let the Asidai know about him. Not here that he what he does is wrong, you understand. The king keeps a sniffer in the ear of Falmorin. Yep, Falmorin. Falmorin. And there's another in Ancord. Ancordale. This is what he said. <laughs> I did ask check, you. Check for name places. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Anchordale. Another in Anchordale. It's just that Ice and I seldom be like it when they don't understand. And with him being a man, it's nothing to do with the power, of course. Ah, you tell him, Huron. Yes, Longy Lord Ingda, the man said. He bowed low to Rand here from the saddle. Honor to serve, my lord. Call me Rand. Randy struck stuck out his hand, and after a moment Hirani grinned and took it. As you wish, my lord Rand. Lord Ingtan, dear lord, the occasion he don't he mind a man's ways. And a lord Agolar, of course. But they say in the Itani or an outlander prince he from the south. Some outlander lords are you strict he for every man in his place. I'm not a lord. At least I'll only get away from that. That now. Just Rand. Huron blinked. As you wish, my uh Rand. I'm a sniffer, you see. Been one year four years here this Sunday. I never heard of you such a thing before then. Like here there's a few others like me. It started slow, catching bad smells here where nobody else smelled anything, and it grew. Took a whole year before I realized what it was. I could smell violence, the killing, and the hurting. Smell the where it happened. Smell the trail of those who did it. Every trail is different, so those who know each chance of me mixing them up. Lord Ingtar heard of it, and he took me in his service, to serve me of the king's justice. You can smell violence? Rand said. He could not help you looking at the man's nose. It was an ordinary nose. Not large, not small. You mean, you can really follow somebody who, say, killed another man? By smell? I can that, my lord. Uh, Rand. It fades with time. The worse the violence, the longer it lasts. I, I can even smell a battlefield he ten years old. Though the trails are feet. Trails of the men who were there are locked, are gone. Up near the blight, the trails of the Trollocs almost need never fade. Not much either a Trolloc here, but killing and hurting. A fight in the tavern, though, with the maybe a broken arm, that smell's gone in hours. I see, I can you see where you wouldn't hear what I to die to find out. Uh, Lord Ingtar was here right about the ice to die. The light illumined them. Uh, ran. It was your one in the... Tyrion. Tyrion. I would say, like, I know this word. 
There was one in Ikari once. Brown Asia. But I swear I thought each was ready before she let me go. She kept here me up. She kept me a month trying to find out here why find out how I do it. She didn't like not knowing. She kept muttering. Is it ain't old here come again? Or new? Staring at him and he told me what if he thought I was he using the one power. Almost had me doubting myself. I haven't even gone mad. And I don't do anything. I just smell. Well, we have a really cool character, in my opinion, of Huron being introduced. Um, I find him to be a very uh, I, enjoyable character, personally, but that's because I know more about him. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of starting to like the um, whole aspect of, like, there being more fantastical aspects to the world which aren't linked to the One Power. Mm -hmm. Which I know you saw with... Um, like you know the wolf brothers and stuff like that but yeah I anyway mean, it's, it's interesting to see stuff like that also like how most stuff some, is going to be I tied into the one manifest. power but there are a couple things that separate but yeah so Huron's a very cool character and the fact that he's a sniffer and can sniff or I should say smell um violence and hurt makes him a great asset specifically for this type of thing as well um considering that the people they're following more than likely have trollocs with them and if they do have trollocs it's going to be an easy way for him to follow so after Huron introduces himself um rand's kind of just like well so we're going to use your nose to find the horn and Inkar nods, Huron grins with pride, and, well, yep, we will. Um, I followed a murderer to Kyrian once, another way all to Maradon, to bring them back to the King's Justice. This is the worst, though. Murder smells bad, and the trial of a murderer stinks with it. But this... There were men in it last night. Dark friends must be, but you, you can't tell a dark friend by smell. What I'll follow is the Trollocs and the Halfmen, and something even worse. And he kind of thinks of him to himself. He's like, something even worse, the light helped me. And then, you know, he goes out there, his nostrils flaring from trying to smell it. And then he kind of has like a little disgust moment. He's like, well, we're going this way, Lord Ingtar. And he's like, Ingtar's like, what? Not towards the blight? He's like, no, Lord Ingtar. <laughs> I can almost taste them. South they went. He's like, well, Damerlin's seat was right, you know. Great and wise woman deserves better than me to serve her. Take the trail, Heron. So Rand turns and looks back at the gate, at the keep, and he starts thinking about Egwene. But then he rides after Ingtar and the Grey Owl, Grey Owl banner. And then we kind of like shift gears, I guess. Um, <laughs> now we're no longer in Rand's mode. Or, perception, view, whatever you want to call it. Now we're moving to Ilion, and there's a big festival going on about the Great Hunt of the Horn for the Hunters of the Horn and everything. Um, but it's also mixed in with the Feast of Tevin, which is like lots of contests. I, I think of it like a lot of the Greek contests of strength, might, will, intelligence, and all that type of stuff. 
Um, but the big prize of all goes to the best telling of the Great Hunt of the Horn. Um, which you're like, oh, Tom. And then you start crying inside. But Yeah. <laughs> so they I got, have to bring it up. Uh, I, I can't help it. Tom was awesome. Um, then you have, like, Gleeman entertaining in palaces and mansions of the city. And, you know, all these hunters coming from every nation to go out and find the Horn of Valir. Um immortality and song and story and all that stuff and there's there's all different types of celebrations from dancing to music and um just a bunch of unique stuff to this and it's like a carnival basically um but then we notice whose point of view we're actually in it's bale doman which as you had mentioned you <laughs> did not expect to see him again so soon um yeah that that was, that was a sun shift. It was definitely a shift with <laughs> you think about it, but there is a reason for it and it makes sense later on. Um, so Bale Doman's, you know, walking around with people in masks and costumes that are all out there, wacky, crazy. And some of them are, you know, a bit more f fancy and others are, you know, just showing too much skin. Um, so I'm thinking it's almost like a Cinco de Mayo or something like that. Like it's, it's very colorful. It's very feathery. It's very, you know, party all night kind of thing. And they also have illuminators, which illuminators are people who deal like with fireworks and stuff. Um, and a lot of people come to see the Illuminators because the Illuminators are basically a, a private guild that are very secretive about their, well, secrets in general, but how to make fireworks that are fireworks that are like they don't let anybody else near them, but you can pay them to shoot them off and whatnot. So the wealthy typically do, but, you know, for a festival like this, they're going to get paid a lot to shoot off fireworks. But uh, Dylan's like, you know, whatever, it's fireworks. I don't care about the hunt. But he's going to go meet some people he thinks are trying to kill him. <laughs> Just jumping right into the brunt of it. Um, so he crosses the Bridge of Flowers. It's one of the uh, canals into the Perfume Quarter, the uh, port district of Ilion. And it smells... <laughs> The canal smells like too many chamber pots with never a sign that there have ever been flowers near the bridge. So, you know, bridge flowers, totally the right name for it. Um, the whole quarter smells of hemp and pitch from shipyards and docks and, you know, sour harbor mud and the heat and everything else just makes it pretty, pretty strong stench. Um, but Delman seems to take delight in this and breathes in really thickly and he just it's it's where he's from like he's an Ilioner, um and it's just like coming back home essentially um but in one hand he's carrying you know a stout cudgel and in the other one he has a hilt of a short sword um that he has to defend the do the decks of his river trader from brigands um but even during like the festival of Tevin and stuff, there are foot pads out trying to pick something up while some people are like too drunk to notice what's going on. 
Now, we get an actual like description of him, which I think we had a minor description of him in Eye of the World. This is going to kind of bring up some uh, more descriptions that are newer and will explain kind of like the aura of presence around him. So I just want to read this little, it's like it's just a single paragraph. Yeah, he was a broad, muscular man, and none of those out for a catch of gold thought him rich enough in his plain-cut coat to risk his size and his cudgel. The few who caught a clear glimpse of him when he passed through the light spilling from a window edged back till he was well past. Dark hair that hung to his shoulders, and a long beard that left his upper lip bare framed a round face. But that face had never been soft, and now it was set as grimly as if he meant to batter his way through a wall. He had men to meet, and he was not happy about it. So we get this description of Bale Doman, where he has dark hair that goes down to his shoulders, a long beard, and I'm trying to think of who it reminds me of, because I, I have somebody in my head, but I can't, I think, can't think of their name. But, um, Basically, he's like round face. So he's a pretty hefty boy, um, but he's pretty large and he's muscular, very broad. So I'm trying to think of uh, not quite like a sumo wrestler, but a sumo wrestler that has looks has the appearance of less fat and more muscle on him. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of character name, but I can't. So. I mean, you get the basic idea of it, really. Yeah. And um, people are, you know, running past, singing off-key with about the Horn of Valir with the wine in their words and stuff. And he's like, the Horn of Valir, my aged grandmother. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love Um Be me ship, I do want to hang on to. And my life, fortune prick me. Uh Good old Baildoman. But he uh, heads into this inn. Now, this inn is a bit of a, um, a fancy history. Um, it's called Easing the Badger. And Easing the Badger is... Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it to you in the past, James, but I don't recall. But Easing the Badger... Easing the Badger is the... Uh, is a tavern that was actually added in by Robert Jordan due to some like original readers of the series participating in reading it. And um, the person who got it named in the book after him is Matt Hatch from the Dusty Wheel YouTube uh, channel. Because he's one of the early readers, I guess. And uh, yeah, so Easing the Badger was the name of an inn. And that's the name of his inn in his show, The Dusty Wheel. Um, oh, okay. So, fun little well, random trivia. You know. Yeah, the fun little trivia blurb. Um, and the innkeeper, in this case, is a lady named Nieta Sidoro. And she has a, uh, a guy working there. I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. Billy, I believe it is. Yeah, Billy. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of talk going on about what's going on with false dragons and, you know, what's going on in Haddon Merck. 
King Tier and whatnot, uh, the Mirandians and all all that's going on and everything. And he's like, ah, false dragons, whatever. There's no there's no safe place these days. Um, but he goes basically up to Nieta Sidoro and she points out three men at a table that are really quiet and basically somber. And they have like bell-shaped velvet capes or caps and uh, dark cloaks. And they stand out amongst everybody else. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and pick up this part. Doman sighed and took a table in a corner by himself. Kyrianen this time. He took a mug of brown ale from a serving girl and drew a long swallow. When he lowered the mug, the three men in striped cloaks were standing beside the table. He made an unobtrusive gesture to let Nieta know that he did not need Billy. Captain Doman? They were all three nondescript, but there was an air about the speaker that made Doman take him for their leader. They did not appear to be armed, despite their fine clothes. They looked as if they did not need to be. There were hard eyes in those so very ordinary faces. Captain Bale Doman of the Spray? Doman gave a short nod, and the three sat down without waiting for an invitation. The same man did the talking. The other two just watched, hardly blinking. Guards, Doman thought. For all their fine cloaks. Who do he be to have a pair of guards to look over him? Captain Doman, we have a personage who must be brought from Mayen to Ilion. Spray be a river craft, Doman cut him off. Her draft be shallow, and she has no keel for the deep water. It was not exactly true, but close enough for landsmen. At least it be a change from Tyr. They be getting smarter. The man seemed unperturbed at the interruption. We had heard you were giving up the river trade. Maybe I do, and maybe no. I have no decided. He had, though. He would not go back upriver, back to the borderlands, for all the silk shipped in Tyrian bottoms. Saldane furs and ice peppers were not worth it, and it had nothing to do with the false dragons he had heard of there. But he had wondered, again, how anyone knew. He had not spoken of it to anyone, yet the others had known too. You can coast to Mayen easily enough. Surely, Captain, you'd be willing to all say... You'd be willing to sail along the shoreline for a thousand gold marks? Despite himself, Doman goggled. It was four times the last offer, and that had been enough to make a man's jaw drop. Who do you want me to fetch for that? The first of Mayen herself? Has Tyr finally forced her all the way out then? You need no names, Captain. The man set a large leather pouch on the table in a sealed parchment. The pouch clinked heavily as he pushed it across the table. The big red wax circle holding the folded parchment shut bore the many-rayed rising sun of Kyrian. Two hundred on account. For a thousand marks, I think you need no names. Give that 
seal unbroken to the port captain of Mayenne, and he will give you three hundred more and your passenger. I will hand over the remainder when your passenger is delivered here, so long as you have made no effort to discover what that personage's ID identity. Now, this is a fun little section because it appears that Doman is aware of what's going on. Now, we know this because of what's happened so far in this little section of this chapter, but we also know that he's genuinely surprised at how much they're offering. And we also know that he is... Um, what's the proper term? <laughs> playing stupid, I guess? Like, he's he's kind of toying with them, like playing along. Um, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not quite showing his hand just yet. Yeah, well, he's not planning on showing his hand. <laughs> so, Doman's like, man, you never have to do another voyage in his life to get pretty much what's in that sack. Um, so, he's like, well, Mayenne is this small country between Tyr and Ilion, and why Kyrian's involved is not known. But Tyr and Ilion are notorious for going to war with each other, and Ilion's trying to stay out of it is kind of like what makes it kind of a, a cool little city-state kind of thing down there. It's it's a very small, very small land. Um, and, you know, he tries to reach for the pouch, and then the guy talking grabs his wrist and bailed him and glares at him, but... He just looks at him normally. He's like, you got to sail as soon as possible. And he's like, well, all right. First at light. The guy releases his hold. He's like, all right. Um, first light. Discretion keeps a man alive to keep, spend his money. So Doman watched the three of them leave and then stares sourly at the porch. and the Or the pouch, not the porch. <laughs> wow, my eyes, it's getting worse and worse every day, apparently. Um, and then he picks up the pouch and he's got the parchment and you know, Tyr or Mayenne, it did not matter as long as he went east. He's wondering why he needs to go east. Um, he's like, I have no clue to them. So, how does he know, like, what's a dark friend? And dark friends are chasing him, and Trollocs are chasing him, but he doesn't really know why. So Nita shows up and asks if there's trouble, and he's like, you look like you've seen a Trolloc. And she giggles, an improbable sound from a woman her size, because, like most people who had never been at the Borderlands, Nita didn't believe in Trollocs. He had tried telling her the truth of it. She enjoyed his stories and thought they were all lies. She didn't believe in snow either. I did mention this earlier, so this is just confirming what I said. And he's like, no trouble. So he digs a coin out of the pouch and flicks it to her, and it's like, give everyone a round of drinks until they run out. I'll give you another. And then she looks at the coin and is like, wow, a Tar Valen Mark. Are you trading with the witches now? And he's like, no, that I do not. And she bites the coin and he's like, ah, well, it's gold. <laughs> so I suspect the witches be no so bad as some make them out to be. Um, <laughs> she basically, I know a money changer who do handle such things. And you don't have to give me another with as few as in here tonight. And then she asks if he wants more ale. So he's like, sure. And his mug's basically almost full still. And 
she's a friend, not going to say anything, not going to betray his trust or anything like that. Um, but with, we got white cloaks or children of the light as they're properly termed, um, amongst the Ilioners and whatnot. So having Tarval and Marx is very dangerous due to the fact that, you know, children of the light don't take kindly with people mingling with <laughs> the witches, as they say. Um, but he's, you know, sitting in there thinking about yeah. everything going on. And then uh, his his first mate, I guess, Yaren Maelden, um shows up and he's like, well, Karn's dead. <laughs> and he's like, what? And uh, three of his men have been killed already. Each one, every time he refused to commission, that would take him east. But the magistrates don't do anything and the just saying the streets are dangerous at night and a sailor's a rough and quarrelsome lot. So mag magistrates basically don't bother with it at all, specifically in the perfume quarter anyway. Unless you're, I guess you're, if you're a respectable citizen. Um, He's like, but this time I did accept them. And he's like, well, that's not all, you know, they worked with Karn with knives and well, they wanted him to tell him something, and some more men tried to sneak aboard the spray, and about an hour gone, but the dock watch ran him off. Third time in ten days. It's like, I didn't know wharf rats to be persistent. But they like to let an alarm die down before they try again. But somebody tossed my room with the silver dolphin last night, took some silver, so I think it was thieves, but left that belt buckle of mine, the one with garnets and moonstones. Lying right out in plain sight. What's going on? Men are afraid, and I'm a little nervous myself. So Doman stands up and he's like, Rouse the crew, Yaron. Find him and tell him to spray sails as soon as the men are on the board to handle her. And he's like, I'll leave any man here standing on the quay if he's not there. And this part I really liked. So I'm just going to go through it. It's like Doman gave Yaron a, sh a shove to start him running, then stalked off toward the docks. Even footpads who heard the clinking of the pouch he carried steered clear of him. For he walked now like a man going to do murder. It's like, ah, oh, that's a great, great line. Um, but then he, sh he, you know, shows up to the spray and there's already crewmen scrambling aboard and, you know, running barefoot down the stone quay. They did not know what he feared was pursuing them or even if anything did pursue him, but they knew he made good profits. And after the alien on our way, he gave shares to the crew. Um, so now we get a description of the spray itself. It's 80 feet long with two masts and a broad in the beam with room for a deck cargo as well as in the holds. Um, despite what he had told the Kyrianan, if they actually even were Kyrianan, um, he thought they could stay in the open water. The Sea of Storms is quieter in the summer. He's like, well, she'll have to be. So he tossed the gold on his bed and then it's kind of like built against the hull, like everything else in the stern cavern and pulls out the parchment. He lights a lantern. Um, but then he's like looking at this sealed document. He tells them to come in when he hears a knock on the door, but he slides the paper underneath a, uh, one of the, I guess, uh, What's the term? 
maps, parchment, whatever you want to call it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I found pretty much everybody but three, um, but I spread enough word through every tavern, hell, and crib. Um, they'll be here before light enough to start up river. And he's like, no, we're, we're seven now to see. And even though Yarn starts protesting about, you know, light, tide, it's not built for the open sea, he's like, we're doing it now. We can clear the bars at a dead low tide, and you have not forgotten how to salt by the stars, sail by the stars. So take her out and take her out now and come back to me when we're beyond breakwater. So, you know, Yarn's hesitating, but Domon usually goes up on the deck when there's tricky sailing so he could give orders and whatnot but in this situation yarn just kind of goes up there and shouts orders and you you can hear the bare feet thumping on the decks um and then you know he pulls the lantern top off and sticks the knife into the flames and it starts to curl up the smoke as the oil burns off the blade but before it can even turn red, he uh, pushes the charts out of the way and presses the part flat on his desk and takes the hot steel of the knife and works it underneath the seal and it pops the top fold up. And it's a very, very simple letter and it kind of just, it pretty much caused him to just start sweating, basically. <laughs> And the letter says, The bearer of this is a dark friend wanted in Kyrian for murders and other foul crimes, least among them theft from our person. We call upon you that you to seize this man and all things found in his keeping to the smallest. Our representative will come to carry away what he has stolen from us. Let all he possess, save what we claim, go to you as a reward for taking him. Let the vile miscreant himself be hanged immediately that his shadow spawn villainy no longer taint the light. Sealed by our hand, Galdrian Suriatan Re, King of Kyrian, Defender of the Dragonwall. That's a pretty heavy letter. Yeah. Pretty heavy. And, you know, he's he's like, he sees the, the impression on the red wax with the rising sun, seal of Kyrian and the five stars of House Riotan. He's like, defender of the dragon wall, my aged grandmother. <laughs> I just love how he does that. <laughs> it's like, fine, right? The man do have to call himself that any longer. Um, then he, you know, examines the seals and signature minutely, you know, holding the document close to the lamp with his nose all but brushing the parchment. But he couldn't find any flaw on this one or the other one. He had no idea what Galdrian's hand looked like. It was not the king himself who had signed it, he suspected, and whoever had made good imitations of Galdrian's scrawl. In any case, it didn't make any difference. In Tyr, the letter would instantly uh, damn, basically instantly damn the hands of an Ileana, like, you know, you're, you're done with, like, you're dead. Uh, in Mayen, with Tyrant influence a bit strong, there was no war, but there was little love for Ileana's in Tyr, and much of the way uh, the way around, but this is basically just an excuse to nail him to the wall, so to speak. But he thought about putting the parchment into the lantern flame. It was very dangerous to have, whether it be in Ilion or Tyr or anywhere really. But he finds his secret cubby hole behind his desk, 
concealed by a panel that he's the only one who knows how to open it and sticks it in there. And he's like, hmm, my possessions, hmm. So he likes to collect a bunch of old stuff, which, I mean, we all have our own little collections that we like to do, so it's not, like, too unrealistic. But he's got a lot of, a bunch of things that he's collected, but four specific ones have happened since the Maradon trip, and that's when the Dark Friends pursuit had begun, um, and Trollocs for at least a time. And he heard that Whitebridge had been burned to the ground, basically, once he left there. And that there are rumors of Merdral as well as Trollocs. And he's like, all of that is like, I'm not gonna, I'm not imagining things, and, you know, I'm pretty much not gonna sail the river trade no more. Um, and it's too much money for a simple voyage to Tyr, and he basically had a lot of reasons to not do it. But looking into his chest, he pulls out a bunch of stuff. Um, the stuff he got in Maradon. And he's got a light stick, which is left from the Age of Legends, supposedly. Um, nobody knows how to make them anymore. Expensive and much more rare than an honest magistrate, which I think is a great thing. It's like basically an honest politician. Ah! Um, it looks like a plain glass rod, thicker than his thumb, but not quite as long as his forearm. But when he holds it in his hand... It glowed as, light, as brightly as a lantern. Light sticks shattered like glass. And he had nearly lost the spray in a fire caused by the first one he had owned. A small, age-dark, ivory carving of a man holding a sword. The fellow who sold it claimed if you held it long enough you could start to feel warm. Now, this little item here is a uh, interesting item, so might want to tuck it away for later. Um, but... Domina never felt that heat, so he's like, whatever, it's old, so that's good enough for him. Um, then he has a skull of a cat that's as big as a lion, and it's so old it was petrified. But it's uh, he's never seen a lion that had fangs that are almost like tusks a foot long, which we would recognize as a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. Um, but basically he had, you know... He got also this thick disc the size of a man's hand, half white and half black, a sinuous line separating the colors. Oh, gee, I wonder what that looks like. <laughs> uh, so the the shopkeeper in Maradon had said it was from the Age of Legends, but Domon had thought he had lied a little bit. He only haggled a little bit before paying because he recognized what the shopkeeper didn't. It's the, it's the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai from before the breaking of the world. And not something you want to have because it can be very harmful to you. Not the item itself, but rather what it stands for. But it's not something you want to pass up as a collection aspect by somebody who likes to collect things. But it's Hearthstone. And the shopkeeper didn't add that because, you know, the lies and whatnot. No riverfront shopkeeper in Mardon could afford even one piece of Quendiar. Um... And Heartstone, a.k.a. Quendiar, is, as we have found out, I believe, in the end of Eye of the World, is basically a a metal-ish type thing. I, I Sometimes I want to feel like it's like a ceramic, but metal, but much, much tougher than ceramic. 
as in like it cannot be broken kind of thing which i'm like why would you not make everything out of this if you know how to make it because then it would never break um imagine building a house out of quendiar you'd never have water leaking into your house you'd never have it collapse during an earthquake the ground would break before the uh -huh. quendiar would like that'd be fantastic well, I'm speaking from a point of ignorance, uh, maybe there's like a limiting factor as to you know actually making it. Or um, in the age of, in the age of legends, it. I mean, it's. I think if I remember correctly, the the one power is used in making it, but that's pretty much the only limitation, is that. But back then, you had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of channelers it wasn't like it would have been difficult. Like you could just pay somebody to be like, Hey, can you come in and make all this hearthstone? Cause it's like, you can add it to things. So you can be like, Oh, I have this fishing rod, make it hearthstone. Broom! You have a hearthstone fishing rod. My fishing rod will never break. Um, that kind of thing. Like it's, it's not, it's not beyond reasonable to assume that it could be done. Even if it was only for like the wealthy or something, imagine giving all your guards, you know, their weapons, their armor, and everything be Quendiar and be like unstoppable essentially. Um, in this time period, because it's so rare, it's so expensive. Um, but he managed to get this piece pretty cheap, and it feels hard and smooth in his hand, and it doesn't seem like it's very valuable besides the fact that it's just old. Um, but he thinks that this is probably what they're after. Light sticks, ivory carvings, and even bones turned to stone, other people have had. Like, you can find them other places. But, not knowing what they want, and no idea why they want it, just kept people on them. And he's kind of changing a lot of his normal stuff, because he was a river trader, now he's going to be something else. Um... But now there's a knock on the door and, you know, he pulls an unrolled chart over the uh, disc. And Yarn enters like, okay, we're beyond the breakwater. And Doman feels surprised and he's like, wow, I got so engrossed that I didn't even feel spray lifting on the swells. He's like, all right, we're heading west, Yarn. And he's like, Ebodar? No. We'll go into Ebodar long enough to get charts and some water barrels, but then we're going to sail even further west. It's like, west? Like, to Tremalking? The Seafolk are, you know, not going to really be able to trade anything there because they like to trade with little but their own. He's like, well, the Arth Ocean, Yarn. we got plenty of trade between tar uh, Tarabon and Arodaman, and hardly a Tarabon or Damani bottom to worry about. They don't like the sea, at least that's what I've heard. And all these small towns in Toman Head, and everyone holding itself free of any nation at all. We can even pick up Saldean furs and ice peppers brought down to Bandar Eben. And Yarn's like, alright. Um, he's kind of a pessimistic sailor, but he's a good sailor. And he's like, well, furs and peppers will cost more than running upriver for them. And there'll be some kind of war. If Terabon and Aradamon are fighting, there may be no trade. No doubt we'll make much off the towns in Toman Head alone, even if they are safe. Falm's the largest, and it's not big. And he's like, well, the Terraboners and the Damani have always squabbled over Almuth Plain in Toman Head. Even if it has come to blows this time, we could find a way to trade. 
So we're going west. So Aaron's like, all right. So Doman, you know, puts the black and white disc back in the cubby hole and puts the rest in the back of the bottom of the chest. And so dark friends rise to die. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go the way they want me to fortune pricked me. So now he feels really safe. He goes up on top of the deck of the spray and pick up the wind and just sail into the night, dark sea into the West. And that's where we end the chapter. A bit of a change up, wasn't it? Yeah. Again, uh, wasn't expecting the uh, sound change. Yeah, it, it did kind of come out of nowhere. Change the perspective, I mean. I mean, I think in a way it's a welcome one because I think once you get like stuck on a character for too long, like Rand, Matt, Perrin, Loyal, and all them, it can get yeah. a little grating because you're like, is there anything else to this world? But then we're switching over literally to the complete southern border of the continent and experiencing a little bit more of that world. It's like watching star Wars and always being on a spaceship. And then you get that one rare occasion where you see, you know, a port or a, uh, some sort of a city or something where you get to see all the exotic things from all these different places. And it kind of like feels like star Wars again. It's just, it's just an interesting feeling to have to be like, Oh, there's actually other stuff in star Wars. You know, this, big huge galaxy we can actually see something more than just space <laughs> so i don't know that's how i feel about it but i, I think it was interesting and i like bail doman as a character anyway yeah i don't know maybe it's easy to see like um i don't know if, if you were going to tell me that he this chapter was going to feature a perspective shift i would have automatically thought of pattern a bit pattern thane pattern thane Put on thing. Yeah. I really like the uh, subject character, but I don't know. The perspective change is always a strange just because um, whenever I write, it's quite linear. Linear. Cause be linear, I guess. With, um, you know, just see like following, you just see like who, what, like one or two characters. But um, I guess we, I guess we do have like a large ensemble cast. You really could actually just jump to basically anyone, and uh, so long as it like has some service to the story. Yeah, it's one, of the, thing, is, it's one uh, of the things I like about it is that Wheel of Time does have one of the largest cast of characters to choose from, so there's always something you could switch up if you wanted to. Yeah, it's um definitely one of the things that I'm having to learn, especially with um D and D is here like how much time do I actually have to like work on this character because how much are they actually going to be a part of the story? Yeah. Because you know, you don't you don't have to spend like writing like fifteen pages on like the blacksmith that's in like one small town that like the party is never gonna see again. I mean, there's a lot of characters that you'll see a couple like small snippets and you won't see again. But there are some characters that you'll see quite a bit of and then they kind of come back out of nowhere and you're like, oh, wow, didn't see that coming. But overall, what did you think of the chapter? Yeah. Uh, well, I was just saying, guys, I look forward to the chapter that I see. So I just smashed cuts to Senbui somewhere. <laughs> 
Sun Bowie rising an army up in Saldea. <laughs> he's he's just in there on top of someone's roof being like, I wonder what ever happened to that red-headed child. Oh well. <laughs> donk, donk, donk. I'm just I'm just thinking I'm just thinking of the um the the little meme where it has the guy like above the crowd with the pitchforks and torches and everything. He's like, What do we want? And they're all like, That's roofs and he's like, When do we want it? And they're like, Eventually because <laughs> there's there's an inside joke for later on for Senbui that's actually funny. Um But yeah, so yeah, you, you but, like the chapter yeah, then I guess? Yeah. Uh I liked it. Although I did find it funny with um uh Agamar is Lord Agamar, right? Lord Agamar. Yeah, basically like you're doing the whole thing up here, like, oh please, mother, you must stay you must see you stay another night. No, we we've the attack won't happen an attack won't ever happen again. We've doubled, tripled, quadrupled the guards and then it's like shunk, I am shamed. A shameful well, display. Well, I have egg on my face. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that that was quite funny to see from my own reading. Um. But yeah, I I quite liked it. Um. I look forward to uh Hiran uh doing a massive heel turn and uh, stabbing Ryan to the back. <laughs> that would be interesting. As we as we know. And as we constantly have to say, unfortunately, everyone is dark friend. You know, yeah, everyone's a dark Justin, friend. Justin, James, all is a dark fans, friend. even me, I don't even know that fact, but I myself am a dark friend. <laughs> I can. Though I will I, never admit it. I will vouch for that, and I will admit it for that's him. What a dark friend would do? I know, right? That's what that's, that's what a dark friend would do. But well, yeah. um, should um, we wrap this up, or I, you want to keep? You have something else to say? No, I was just saying, you know, I have no idea like where things are actually going to go at the moment. I mean, I have an idea. Like, they're going to hunt down or attempt to hunt down the uh, horn thieves. No, I just, uh, no, just see if we'll see if Eldoman from this point forward. Just, uh, just forget the, forget the horn, like the horn and everything, and even Rand and everyone else. Just, this is the Eldoman show now. Baildoman is actually the real main character. You just didn't know. I always love it here when um, just see in stories here where just see like in the story itself almost seems to forget about the main character. There's so many stuff that I've been reading recently that's just been like that. But anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, we should probably wrap this up for the folks so they can go on and enjoy either the next episode or. Uh, whatever else they're planning to do for their day. Um, do you want to shill or do you want me to shill? Uh, I can shill if you want to watch me fail for the next ten minutes. I mean, if it takes you ten minutes to sh to shill, you probably have other issues. It's not that hard. <laughs> but go for it. Okay. On the that note, uh, that way to start. <laughs> Okay, well, first off, thanks everybody to... for hanging out, and you know, we'll hope you come back again. No, 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 <laughs> no we are blight upon your existence. Go away, James. On James' side, he's like, "No, we're not happy you came, so don't come back." 
So anyway, thanks thanks for listening. Uh, if you wish to reach out here to us, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Tales of Red Arm. Uh, you can also contact us directly via Gmail, which is uh, at Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com. No, actually, it's, it's, .com, it's, right? it's just Tales of a Red Arm at Gmail, not at Tales of a Red Arm. Just, just Tales of a Red Arm at gmail.com. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, if you, I'm pretty sure that if you follow links on the Facebook or Twitters, you can find your way to our recently made Discord server. Yep, it's a little, Which, uh, it's a bit empty right now, but hopefully more people will jump in and we'll have a lot more folks in it, and we can enjoy more variety yeah, of topics mainly, and stuff. Yeah, mainly there to uh, discuss topics and. Um, what you like about the show, what you don't like, uh, admitting that you're a dark friend, obviously. If you don't do that, we'll probably have to call the Inquisition. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, you can find out all that information on our Twitter and Facebook page, and we'd love to hear from you guys, and maybe pull up any questions you have and pull them into a episode, and have some fun with that, because nothing like a good old episode of questions to spend time with i guess <laughs> but yeah um thanks everybody for hanging out with us and we hope you guys will join us again next time for chapter 10 and to see what wonderful adventures we will partake in this time until then we drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will spend our pay and when we're done then we'll await the dance with jack of the shadows we'll toss the dice however they fall when some of the girls be they short or tall then follow your map wherever it goes to dance with jack of the shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack and the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack and the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.